This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. Going to the 10,000-foot level and what's motivating for me in, in why it's important for the public to be competitive in the marketplace of ideas on social media, which is not a free marketplace. Bad ideas win all the time. Um, it's that we're at a printing press moment um, where we need to be very deliberate in realizing that we are reconstructing the public square and we have not really established the rules of the road yet. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. Today on Crossing Division, we have a friend of mine uh, from here in Tacoma, Aaron Sherman. I asked Aaron to come on because we've had a couple of different conversations about social media, making effective use of it for political purposes. And our conversations are always really good. And it's like, you know what? We're going to do a podcast. And so this is it. And I'm going to call it Becoming a Political Influencer via <laughs> Social Media. Maybe we'll get there, maybe we don't. But anyway, Aaron, introduce yourself. Yeah, hi everybody. My name is Aaron T. Sherman. Uh, I have lived in Tacoma since I started in school back in PLU in 2007, originally from SeaTac, Washington. Most of the time tell people I'm just a kid from SeaTac. But uh, over the past about decade or so, I have been working in various political roles. Uh, right out of grad school, I uh, was on the $15 an hour campaign, uh, working doors. It was my hometown. It was the most exciting thing that's probably ever going to happen in SeaTac, Washington. <laughs> uh, did a couple of campaigns as a manager in the years afterwards, including for uh, the current county council chair here in Pierce County, Derek Young, who managed his campaign back in 2014. After that, ended up uh, in the state legislature as a communication staffer with the Senate Democratic Caucus, where I worked with senators across the board, everyone from uh, here in Tacoma, Jeannie Jarneal, worked with Joe Wynn, uh, worked with Marco Leas, Patty Cooter was kind of the last roster that I had, but really got the opportunity to uh, push what the Senate was doing in their social media spaces at the time and, you know, got to do a lot of really interesting messaging for everything from paid family leave to elections reform to uh, mental health services, just all kinds of interesting stuff. And over the last two years, I have been the communications director for uh, King County Council member Gurmai Zahalai, which my gig just ended this last week. I will miss it dearly, but I will be moving on uh, to a statewide position, and I'll be uh, the communications director for State Treasurer Mike Pellicciotti. That's going to be a really cool assignment. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. It's 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 fun to be the opportunity to be in a constitutional office of our statewide elected. That you know, I think most people would. When I've been telling people, a lot of people, their first question is, what does the treasurer do? Right. Right. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity there to really talk about what we do with our money in the state. And, you know, I, I think that there's some big opportunities for some structural reform that uh, we're going to be tackling. But, you know, I got to go in and, and get in there and learn like everybody else yeah. in the next few months. But very excited and very appreciative that uh, Treasurer Pellicciotti is bringing it's, me on. It's going to be an amazing job. I'll tell you. I mean, this is sort of before we get into our substance here. But um I represent – currently, I, I work at the Attorney General's office, and I represent Department of Retirement Systems, mm -hmm. and I never wanted to. Mm. You know, back in, like, 2000, I picked them up as a client, and I thought it sounded so boring. It's not. Yeah. You know why? Because of money. Yeah. <laughs> money, 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 money. Anytime there's money, a whole lot of money, it drives policy, yeah. it drives decision-making, and you are now going to the house of money. Yeah. And it's going to be fascinating. 
I'm really excited to see what what room we have there to to do some new things, but also just, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where you're absolutely right. That's what I've had this conversation with folks a couple of times, and they're like, you're really going to learn what the inner guts of our yeah. system is looking like. And, you know, that's what excites me most and about it's like, it. Is, it's like you wouldn't even believe. You're yeah. going to be amazed. It's like little things like, you know, uh, how do school districts buy school buses? Right. Well, they used to buy them district by district by district until someone had the bright idea, you know what, if we all bought them together, we right. could save a hell of a lot of money. That is true. That and, is I mean, true. that's just – Good fiscal policy is good policy. Yeah. So that's very <laughs> exciting. But let's talk about social media. Yeah. So love it, hate it, force for good, force for evil. What are your thoughts? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm glad this is where we're starting because I, I always kind of want to put a little bit of a caveat because I think I am a little bit of a social media evangelist or evangelist uh, broadly in, in what it can do. But like. You know, I, I do just want to say that, like, look, there are understandable, valid, and reasonable arguments uh, to be hesitant in the use of social media generally. It's habit-forming and addictive, and I don't think that we say that enough because it's we all experience where we wake up in the middle of the night and we check our phone. That is an addictive quality. Um, but I do genuinely believe that if we don't awake to this concept that uh, we can alter our behavior – and we can actually engage in social media to occupy the space in a way that is going to not just create bubbles, but actually create dialogue and get us more accurate information. I think that it's something that we can do that's going to make it a lot more useful and a lot more impactful. And really, we need to be thinking about social media not as the way we communicate with one another, but how we create the infrastructure for information in the 21st century and beyond. So tell me about that. Uh, I mean – I, I, I talk about the the why this stuff is so important a lot, which is when we look at how people have gotten information historically over the last 50 to 100 years, um, it's just completely diminishing. Like I remember working in the legislature and the truth was, I mean, even 20 years ago, there were 35, 40 Capitol Beat reporters, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the pool's down to six. Right. Right. So just from a pragmatic viewpoint from where I was at at the time – um, you know, when we were trying to get information out, these six reporters are responsible for covering every member of the legislature, the governor, all of the executive agencies, and the Supreme Court. Um, just as a matter of trying to get the word out, those were not very good competitive figures unless you were going to be like at the top. And it gives a lot more discretion to the reporters. So your average press release just like wasn't going to pick up if you just threw it out and you had to have something else. So if we are in an environment where local media, unfortunately, is either shrinking or being consolidated into national networks, and we're seeing across the board with print news media, with radio news media, with television news media, I genuinely believe that we have a civic obligation as leaders, as individuals, as institutions to compete in the social media marketplace uh, to get information out there, to create some sort of information infrastructure where we can communicate with the public uh, consistently, uh, inform them on what is most important and what the priorities that are going to impact them. But also remember, there's a two-way street conversation opportunity that there has not been before. Mm -hmm. um, and we can get into the how we can make that really effective. But like fundamentally, the problem is uh, when in social media right now, there is just a huge opportunity for uh quality information to step in the space. And if we don't do that, if we don't take that piece where we are getting information to people and competing and being present in these spaces, 
as we've seen, there is a glut of bad information, of enraging information, of disinformation, mm -hmm. where if I think it's just genuinely we don't have enough local governments and uh, other institutions interested in getting accurate information regularly in people's news feeds and their yeah. Twitter feeds, right? And until we get to a place where people know where to go or that we are just in that algorithm and helping to influence and compete with these we're going to be on the back foot. And I think that's yeah. one of the ways that we've gotten to where we are now. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. And a couple of things come to mind. One is uh, what I have experienced um, is that a lot of both local politicians, mm -hmm. but I would say also uh, public agencies, deathly afraid yeah. of really using social media. Yeah. Because, you know, the pushback is unpleasant, right? <laughs> You're going to have you know, dozens of bots and maybe people who are sitting, I just think these are people, they are sitting at home right. in their underwear with nothing else to do. And right. they are going to come at you and they're going to be filthy and nasty and rude. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> you kind of have to expect that's going to be what's happening. And if that's right. causing you to think, ooh, I don't know, that's not for me. That means right. you just opted out right. of being able to tell your story mm -hmm. accurately and influence a few people who are not sitting at home right. filthy, angry, and upset in their underwear. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you just gave up. Right. And I kind of think that with regard to Facebook. And I don't want to be a Facebook defender because, you know, Mark sure. Zuckerberg is like the creepiest person in the world, right? right? right. And clearly that entity <laughs> is designed to do some really nefarious shit. But here's the thing. If those of us who actually want to curate a thoughtful conversation space go away. Right. I don't know where we go to, but if we go away, Facebook doesn't die. No. It just becomes even grosser. Right. So I say engage. Right. That's my vote. If, if there was one thing that I could get everybody listening to this to do on their own time to make social media a healthier and more informative place, it is stunning to me how many people I talk to when I'm like, well, we're worried about how toxic the space is, but here's my question. How many – we can – these algorithms use machine learning. That it implies that we can teach it what content to give to us, right? What I worry about so often is that people passively engage with the algorithms, and what that means is that they're most likely to just naturally be drawn to the most enraging or the most exciting or the mm. funniest content. But if we actually – if you just take 30 minutes, like right now, in Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or Reddit and just go – Follow your local colleges, follow your local news organizations, follow the local Department of Public Health, the local Department of Transportation, WSDOT, whatever it is. If you just follow as many agencies as possible, one, you are just going to get more of that information in your feed. We talk about how the Twitter bubble, the social media bubble is something that we kind of create as like a cavern around us. But the truth is, is you can put posters on the wall and you can inform, you can tell Facebook's algorithm what it is you want to see by following, liking, engaging commenting because it will learn from you, right? Mm -hmm. Especially on the Facebook, Instagram side. You can train these things to give you content. And when more people are seeing that information and when you're engaging with it, that's how you can actively get that information in front of other people's news feeds as well. Mm -hmm. Like that's the piece that I think a lot of people miss and they say, what can I do to like actually make these spaces more livable and help get out information? It's not just sharing the content, right? It's literally just engaging with it so that if, somebody, if one of your friends who you think is getting misinformation, the more people that are just like every single day going through and liking Tacoma Public Health's posts, it increases the likelihood that it's going to be in front of the person that really needs to see it. Oh, interesting. Right? And so it's just we can teach and we can actively 
organize and engage with social media platforms to kind of rehabilitate and make the space a little bit healthier. Mm -hmm. Now, that takes a lot of people to do, right? And there are a lot of complications. This is the reason that I am more of like a Twitter and Reddit person than I am like a Facebook or Instagram. Because with those platforms, you can just more explicitly control what you see. Mm -hmm. Like when you follow somebody on Twitter, you know you're going to see their content when they tweet. Mm -hmm. When you're on Reddit, you can actually sort by new or you can see all of the content. That's not possible with Facebook and Instagram, unfortunately. But these are ways that we can engage. And that also creates the burden of responsibility on the public institutions where you need to actively, it's a two-way street. So yes, as individuals, we should all spend 30 minutes and go and follow every single local Tacoma organization, every single local institution you can think of, because it is not only going to increase the likelihood that other people will see it, but you're just going to get that information more passively. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one thing I've really valued about, you know, I'll put in the plug with Channel 253 is in addition to the the information we get through the podcast and the information ecosystem we've set up and the Slack channel, it's also all of the personalities that I now follow on on social media, on Twitter especially, where all of a sudden I'm just getting way more information about what's happening in Tacoma that I just wasn't getting anywhere else. It's an ecosystem you can create, and you can do that on multiple levels. But that two-way street side of it with public institutions is that's why it's critical that people get rid of that fear because you're absolutely right. I have managed lots and lots of social media accounts for elected officials, and it is – horrifying what people will say in direct messages, right? Right. Where like, you know, I have seen it um, psychologically impact people that are pretty tough. Uh, And it is heartbreaking to see that. But um, again, if we aren't actively engaging and producing it, we're going to have no ability to actually deter those actors or drown them out. Um, So with the public institution side, the elected leader side, it's really important that you are consistently and regularly, just like anytime somebody posts a comment, like like it, yeah. right? It's like you, there is a way to develop authentic parasocial relationships with people um, that are going to be an opportunity to build trust because – in an age in which we are losing trust in institutions deeply and rapidly, I really think that social media gives an opportunity to build authentic relationships, which means that we can build trust and actually have some kind of way to climb out of the hole that we're in right now. And we can talk a little bit about more what that looks like, but you know, this is just kind of the rant I give a lot of folks about what the opportunity is, what the deficits are, and how we actually can engage and participate in creating a healthier ecosystem around social media just by attaching yourself to place in an online space. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I, you know, I got interested in us talking about this in part because we had one of our Twitter spaces a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago that um, speaker Lori Jenkins came into. Right. And I mean, and she was insightful. Mm-hmm. It was good. Yeah. And but it was interesting to me because one of the questions I was sort of posing to myself was, if how do you get younger people or yeah. um, unlikely voters more engaged? Right. And I think that social media is that untapped doorway to them. Right. And what Lori said was, you know, not you're right or you're wrong, but you right. may be. But here's the thing. When you're the candidate, right. your job is to get the votes. Right. And you really need to focus your time and your effort to get those votes. So it may not be your job when you're campaigning to be doing outreach to voters who are not regular voters. And I thought, yeah, bingo. Bingo. (laughs) You are completely right. 
But that means, Aaron, it's our job, right? right? We are not the candidates, but we care about candidates. We care about politics. It is our job to try to figure out how do we get these people in and how do we get them in for the candidates that we care about. And so that's what I've been thinking about is like, you know, there has to be a way – you know, for God's sakes, if the Kardashians <laughs> right. can use Instagram, base, I mean, what are they? What do they get money for? I don't know what they do. Right. Right. I mean, there are a couple of them now who are who are models, but I mean, they've managed to turn this into an empire just by being very attractive yeah. and very strategic. So we've got great politicians mm-hmm. who should be equally attractive to yeah. people, who people should want to know what they're doing and should want to follow them. How can we make that happen? Right. That uh, a big question and one that I, I think about constantly. And and I think there are, there are two things that you're hitting on there. And, and, and one is is the how do we build out these, these audiences for either candidates or for institutions. Mm-hmm. And like, the first thing that I tell an elected official or, you know, somebody that's reaching out to me is that virality is not a uh, – virality isn't really attached to quality of content. I yeah. think that what a lot of people get obsessed with is that, you know, I'm going to have this good piece of content that I put a lot of effort into and it's going to be fabulous and people are going to love it and it's going to blow up. Then, you know, it doesn't do anything and they're mm-hmm. heartbroken with all mm-hmm. the effort they put in. Um, virality is a function of consistency, not quality. Right? Okay. Tell it me is, about that. So it is just all about when – ever like I think about when I was working the legislative session and – It was every single day on each one of my pages. I wanted to have at least one post, right? You know, we could be doing more and you can do it on different platforms. But I think the best thing I think about all the time is actually it was from a speech that um, Vancouver State Senator uh, Annette Cleveland gave on the floor in like 2018 or 2019. She gave this impassioned speech about her experience. Uh, growing up in a union family, uh-huh. you know, you know, given the like, it's why we had straight teeth, you know, it, it's why we had, uh, you know, community and all of the anyway, I'm not going to do it justice. You can look it right. up. But literally, she gave this speech like at like 2 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. And we were like, wow, we thought that was pretty good. Right. But like I literally remembered like me and my colleagues sitting at the computer, just like it's like 515 and we're just trying to get out the door and we're waiting for this video to render. And we literally just like hit post and we walked away. And then by the end of the weekend, we're like seeing like millions of views on this thing. Really? And it's getting picked up by like other larger uh, left-leaning social media platforms. And we weren't like, we didn't have some big plan about how we were going to, you know, push out this speech because of, I mean, yes, obviously, foundationally, it was a very good speech, but we didn't spend like a week on a plan about how we were going to make the speech go viral. We just sat around until 5.15 on a Friday to make sure that the post went out. Mm-hmm. And we do that every single day to make sure we have some kind of content that people can engage with. And so... Like fundamentally, it is just consistency, and that is the hardest habit to build for candidates. That's the hardest habit to build for electeds because the second part that comes with it, and it really does have to come from the candidate in my view. You can do it with the people around you. Um, and we could talk a little bit about – I know I made you watch Lindsay Ellis's uh, video, Manufacturing yes. Authenticity, which I am obsessed with, and I send it to anybody that ever asks me about social media. It's not necessarily about how to do social media well, but it is about what the currencies of social media are and where they came from. And I, uh, the other thing I tell my candidates in addition to consistency is that the currency of social media is authenticity. Yes. The internal link to authenticity is vulnerability, mm-hmm. and that's something that you can't have 
staff replicate, right? Mm -hmm. I think the people that are really doing social media the best and building these audiences are people that you can tell they're the ones actually doing the posting and they're the ones that are doing, there's not all, it's just, those are the things that allow you to build that relationship through somebody on the other side of the screen. That's what I used the term earlier, a parasocial relationship where you don't actually ever meet these people, but you have the ability to build an audience. And what Lindsay Ellis talks about a lot in that parasocial relationship is that you are actually building what is a meaningful and real relationship with somebody you're never going to meet. It's a little bit one way in that you're the only person talking through the screen, but they have the ability to talk back, right? And they have the ability to say, like, I love this, right? I identify with this. And so that finding a way to be authentic and to express a vulnerability is that is what people are going to latch on to. That's why that Annette Cleveland speech worked so well, because it came from a deep down place of personal experience. That doesn't mean air out every little detail about your life, although that is the model for a lot of very successful social media influencers. Right. Um, but just to kind of put a cap on it, like I, I think that you're, what you're touching on is absolutely right, Evelyn, in that um, the social media influencer model, I, I really do believe, is the future of political communications, where we have to, in order to, one, compete in the marketplace of ideas on social media, we need to be present, we need to be consistent, we need to be reaching out to people, but we also need to uh, realize that a part of leadership in the 21st century is going to be able to, as Lindsay Ellis would say, to some degree, manufacture this authenticity in order to build those parasocial relationships Mm -hmm. that are going to encourage people that might not usually get encouraged to have a reason, an actual trusting relationship with someone to take an action. Because without that, I mean, we've all gotten into arguments with people on social media before and it doesn't go anywhere. It's because there's not really any trust or relationship there, right? You're not going to change somebody's mind, but it is not impossible to develop those in a digital platform. And You know, we could talk a little bit more about what it means to, you know, have the Twitter bubble and how close they're getting to winning elections now versus, you know, getting on the doors, Um, all things that are very, very important. But I think we're in a transitory moment where people are taking up bigger and bigger sections of the electorate by online organizing first and foremost. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's going to continue to be the trend. Mm -hmm. Well, we saw a little bit of that uh, last presidential go around and the one before that with uh, with. Bernie being able to come in, Bernie Sanders, to come in and say, send me a low dollar amount of money. Right. And if you reach enough people and inspire them, you know, people don't have 500 bucks or 5,000 bucks to give to a candidate. Right. But they have $5. Yeah. And if you could get a vast number of people. Yeah. If you can get a million people to send you five bucks. <laughs> right, right. You've got some serious money. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah this is something that, you know, we see it in instances. Mm -hmm. What we haven't seen, I don't think, is very good strategic approaches. And I think that's because, you know, the candidates who are doing strategy um, may have lost a little bit of that authenticity and vulnerability. Yeah. And that gets harder the the higher and higher office you achieve, right? You know, and uh, it's it's definitely, I think, going to be a, a pretty big part of the generational overturn that is really accelerating right now. I mean, you know, I was am a high school graduate of a 2007, right? I was a part of the first wave of blogs in my space, uh, which will date me. But um, we've got more people that were raised in digital environments that are now, you know, I'm 32 going on 33. My cohort of millennials is now getting into a position where we're actually getting into these offices. And so I'm kind of curious about how that is going to track because I think you're right that part of 
Bernie's authentic brand is that there were video clips of him from 1981 saying the same thing that he was saying in 2016, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is, that's a function of authenticity, right? You can tell that like this guy's been riding the same message uh, that just happened to resonate in that particular moment. I know it's what got me excited about Bernie. Yeah. Um, You know, and that's the type of thing that is going to be really valuable uh, when people are able to look back and find out. They can do their own. uh, Again, if they're, they're plugged into these platforms, plugged into these conversations, I think that people feel more authentically through digital mediums than they have before, in part because of that generational overturn. I know what it's like to have those relationships online. I remember how devastating it was when I wasn't on somebody's top eight in MySpace in 2005 or whatever it was, (laughs) right? You know, but like those emotions transcend. Uh, whether or not you're actually around somebody, right? And you yes. can feel those. And 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 that is where the dark side of social media is, right? Which is that it is a system that is designed to give you dopamine hits when people like your post. But it also is a way to, again, and I, I always go back to this language of civic obligation, um, that we need to learn how to use the system because it's not going out anywhere. Otherwise, we're going to be at a major deficit. Yeah. Let's take a break here. Yeah. Uh, Because then I want to drill down into the different types of social media and what they are best for. Hello, friends. This is Marguerite Martin, creator of MoveToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there, folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the West Slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties, and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling. And you can rest easy knowing you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you want to learn more, visit MoveToTacoma.com and use the contact form. Thanks for listening to Channel 253. Hi, we're back. Before we drill down into some of the different platforms that social media offers us, I want to say if you are not yet a member of Channel 253, please consider joining us. It's so affordable. $4 a month, $40 a year. You get to help support all these excellent local podcasts plus access to our member-only Slack channel, which is Aaron can tell you is the place to get the scoop on what's going on in Tacoma. And you get also the delightful off-the-record podcast hosted by our friend Doug Mackey. So please consider joining us. All right, Aaron, let's drill down a little bit and talk about what we think these different platforms can be best used for. Well, let's start with the big granddaddy. I mean, if you go back to MySpace, that's <laughs> <Right>. fine. <laughs> but let's say for current for current consumption, uh, and I should say as a 1980 uh, high school graduate <laughs> – I try to keep I've I've done pretty well learning, but it is not easy. Yeah. You know, for the older generation, it is a bit of a challenge to keep up. But Facebook is kind of the 
entry point. That's where the mm -hmm. older people are comfortable. So Facebook, to me, the benefits of Facebook are a couple. One, it is a great narrative platform, mm -hmm. right? There's no limit on your um, character. So you right. can put a long, long story on. And that's not a good use of Facebook because people don't <laughs> want to read a long, long, long right. story. But you can put a couple of paragraphs out there. And what you really need to do if you want to make use of Facebook, one, don't overpost. Mm -hmm. Don't overshare. Every meme that comes your way does not need to be shared. <laughs> um, do use pictures, not 30. Try to keep it to five unless you're doing something really exciting. You know, five to one, one to five pictures. And maybe I would say two to three paragraphs is your optimal, in my opinion, right. Facebook post. But do it. You're like your own publicist. Right. And here's the thing. I'm on Facebook, so is my 83-year-old mother <laughs> and all of my New Zealand cousins, right? Yeah, Half of my yeah. family is in another country, and they're on Facebook, and this is my connection to them. So it it taps into a communication service that is, um, you know, I don't have a, one to rival it. Right. So what do you think for using it? I mean, Facebook for me at this point is really, I guess I would I would describe it as your home base. Mm -hmm. You know, the way websites used to have a lot more cachet about they were the, the portal for all of your information, like that's what Facebook has become, right? You know, people are not going to their, you know, an individual elected official's website as much as they're going no. to their Facebook anymore, right? So for me, Facebook should be, I guess, your most... For a, a, a an institution or for an elected official or for somebody that's running, it should what you think of as, like, to be honest, like your suit and tie spot, right? Yeah. Like, this is where you are going to try to divert people to other places where there's more engaging content. But, like, it kills me how many – like, I, I, it it is still remarkable to me, like – how people don't look at Facebook pages the same way they look at their email inbox mm -hmm. because more and more people just are are reaching out directly through comments and messages, right? And again, an easy, good practice is that, you know, you should absolutely have somebody assigned to it or be doing yourself, treating that like any other, like, incoming source of information, right. whether that's mail, whether that's people calling in, whether that's people actually wanting to show up at your office. Um, and, and when you do that, it is... I have seen – it doesn't happen every single time because people are so very polarized. But it is remarkable how just like simple acknowledgement is something that will uh, will really uh, decrease the level of conflict pretty quickly. Yes. Right? You know, where I, we get people through, you know, Facebook messages and I've been on a number of uh, pages where it's just like they come really intense all caps, right? And you yeah. just say like, hey – Thank you for sending it out. And then they'll, like, send, like, a, a message like, hey, nobody ever reads my stuff. Thank you so much, right? And, like, that isn't changing somebody's mind. But, again, social media platforms, especially with, like, Facebook, are designed to get into that cycle of, of, of the pleasure center where when you feel that you're actually having an interaction, all of a sudden your mind completely changes mm -hmm. about what they expect that conversation to be look like. So with Facebook, I think, you know, that's where you want to have – your best pictures, that's where you want to have your your core information set, mm -hmm. right? You know, you should be directing people to other places where they can take action. I don't feel as comfortable with Facebook as the center for calls to action anymore just because, and especially in the state of Washington, we can't do paid advertising on right. Facebook right now, right. which I have yelled at the state Facebook lobbyist about many, many times at this point. Um, but we're kind of in an intractable conflict with some of our disclosure law right now. Well, and let's just as a little aside, let's yeah. take this let's take this as an aside. So here's the problem. And it's a it's a Google thing too, but it's mostly a Facebook thing. So if Facebook is offering to do political advertising, which they have done, and it's a really effective way of targeting your ad receiving audience and it's low cost. So I mean for those of you who are big on grassroots campaigns, mm -hmm. 
Facebook not being able to post your ad is a big hurt. It is not good. But here's the thing. If you post ads, if you're a newspaper, if you're the TV, if you're the radio, you have to keep records so that someone can come in and say, hey, I want to see the records of, you know, Joe Smith's uh, campaign ad that you ran. Sure, here they are. Well, Facebook says they can't do it. That's BS, right? I mean, they can do everything. They just haven't decided it's worth the trouble yet. We will eventually get past this. Yeah. But for now, we're in the no no ad zone. Right. And my quick read on that one, just from being on, because we were very interested, because like the minute that you can, I think, get back to a place where you can do what is described as political advertising content, which they have a super broad definition for. Um, you know, it's going to completely change the way I would recommend people approach Facebook. But it's very, very – it's increasingly difficult to build organic audiences on Facebook. But look, Facebook got taken off guard with the 2016 election, and they got so scared mm-hmm. that they completely peeled back. Like literally, I remember I was – I will leave the agency nameless, but I was just trying to find out when they made this decision about we can't do it anymore because we wanted to reach more constituents. You know, just like elected officials can send out a mailer. We're like, well, why wouldn't we do a targeted ad on Facebook to try to reach some more people? Right. Uh, So I was just reaching out to other uh, agencies to see what their experience had been. And they're like, they define everything as political. They do not see a delineation between a campaign advertisement and an official government communication. So this department was looking at doing some ads in Spanish. And Facebook was like, that's political. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because of the connotation at the time, because of the way that the right has really created a narrative that Facebook's trying to get them. They literally couldn't even, like, pay to publish and advertise uh, their official government content in another language, right? Mm -hmm. So that's just, like, going down that. Facebook is just – they are afraid that they are going to be seen as liable and they are doing everything they can to just say, fine, we're not going to do political conversations at all when it comes to money. But that means – so you're in an unpaid world. Right. So you, as a, as an individual, mm-hmm. if if I want, I have a Facebook page. It's not that interesting. Eh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. But um, I have a page called True Tacoma that I post out things like copies of the of these uh, podcasts. I don't use it very effectively anymore because it was frustrating to me that I don't really get very. It doesn't get very much traction. Right. You know, it hits maybe twenty people a yeah. post. Yeah. My personal one does better. Mm-hmm. So if I were interested in becoming an elected official or just an influencer, I might set up a new Facebook profile yeah. that was for like Evelyn in Tacoma. Yeah. And then what I need to do, I think, to be effective is I need to get like thirty friends mm-hmm. and say, look, do me a solid here. Every time I post from Evelyn in Tacoma, I want you to share it for me, please. Mm-hmm. Because right now, I'm just trying to get the word out. Yeah, yeah. You can do that. Yeah. No, and, and that works to a great degree. In fact, I'll, I'll shout another uh, uh, Pierce County uh, uh, resident, uh, Evan Keffler, who mm-hmm. is on Twitter. Like, God, the other day, I think probably all of us that are, like, in the Tacoma Twitter bubble just saw, like, the redistricting commission just blow up. Right. That was just Evan, like, hustling, right. like, on Twitter being like, hey, please share this for me. Hey, please share this for me. Hey, please share this for me. And it is a surprisingly effective method, yeah. right? You know, again, things that you can take 30 minutes in a day to just, like, cr- I mean, it's just like sending out an email to people that you're making an ask for, except just do it through Facebook or Twitter. And, you know, and the more people that are engaging with it, and especially right at the beginning. Yeah. On Facebook, this is one thing I learned early on, which is kind of there are two things that are are very heavily rewarded, and Facebook's always changing their algorithm. But one is, like, shares within, like, the first 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. right, and comments within the first 10 minutes. So it's really important that before you post something, if you are going to plan, give a heads up to people and say, like, hey, I'm going to post this at, like – 
4 p.m. Everybody, please, within the first 15 minutes, like and share this thing because if something picks up quick, yeah. Facebook's algorithm trains Says, the thing. Ooh, that, right, exactly. This? Right. It gets mm-hmm. very excited. I, I will say a little bit. I hope I'm not revealing too much, but that was part of our strategy. I helped out Yasmin Trudeau uh, in in her bid to get her get the 27th Senate seat. And there were multiple times when, like, with her announcement, mm-hmm. where you'll just see if you look in like the first 30 minutes after, and we would just coordinate, say, everybody, this is going live at 4:30 on Thursday. Everybody, please share. Right. Nice. And like it's just a way to get into that cycle where you can be deliberate about it. Um, and the second thing is video content, right? Yeah. Like with Facebook, Facebook is still, I think, the the best place to do live streaming. Yeah. Um, and I've done that a lot in my recent gig. But that's because live streaming is one of the few places left on Facebook that everybody that follows you gets a notification when you're live. I'm sure you've logged in on your phone and it shows right at the top bar mm-hmm. who's doing live video right now. Mm-hmm. So I think Facebook is is best for live streaming right now because you also don't need an account to watch a live stream. Oh, which is really? Something that's that's very good yeah. to know. Because that's one of the you know one of the unfortunate things about about Facebook is that people, unless you're making a public post, which you should be making if you're trying to, right. you know, get word out, then only your friends can see it. So yeah. people have to be friends with you. There has to be a relationship, and that slows things down. Let's move to Twitter. Yeah. So the thing I love about Twitter is that it is very heavily used by journalists. Yeah. And oh, yeah. and writers, you know. So there's a lot of writers I follow, but more importantly, journalists. And I'll tell you. So uh, two years ago. Um, a friend sent me a copy of a mailer that came out in the Steve Oban yeah. and Tuana Nobles yeah. campaign that on its face was pretty clear they had done a black and white picture of Tuana and it was very dark. So her skin looked very, very dark. Right, right. And then uh, Oban was in color. And I thought he looked a little light, frankly. Yeah. But uh, he, a friend sent it to me and I you know, took a copy of it. He actually gave me the original. And uh, put it out on Twitter, and I said a couple things. One, here's what's happening. Here's who's funding this ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironic to me that these people, especially you know realtors and so on, are saying on the one hand Black Lives Matter and we're all about equality. On the other hand, you put money into this crapola. Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I got uh, a direct message. Very quickly from Essex Porter saying, hey, Evelyn, it's Essex here. <laughs> right Got on. a copy of that ad for me? We miss you already, Essex. <laughs> yeah, I know. But And so I ended up, you know, getting on TV news with Deborah Horn and talking about this ad. She also talked to Crystal uh, Fincher, who's a fabulous, you know, political consultant. Yeah, 100%. And um, journalists follow Twitter. So if what you're doing is something that you want to get the attention of local media, right. Twitter is better than Facebook. I, I, I completely agree. And and I I, I am it, I would say Twitter is my platform that I mm-hmm. is my vice, if you will. It's Me where too. I'm at the most. It's what I'm spending the most time on. And and I think on that angle in particular, and that was such a big conversation I was having, you know, from the time I was in the legislature from you know from twenty fifteen to twenty nineteen, uh, was so much about this argument about Press releases versus pushing through Twitter, and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to boil it down to. I don't think it's as simple for journalists as, um, uh, you know, if they see something that is just picking up, they want to like get in on the excitement. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that like cut and dry, but it it doesn't hurt when they see that there's something that's going to get engagement, right. because all of their institutions. And you know, when I talk to journalists that are, you know, at you know have been in the game about as long as I've been in politics, you know, it's the pay is not great, and the metric system has changed so significantly. Where some of them are legit saying, you know, if they're publishing their story, you know, especially with like McClatchy, mm-hmm. right? They're looking at online metrics as a measure for success, right? right. 
So that's one of the things that is, I think, a, a structural problem with a lot of local news, but is something you can use to your benefit, mm-hmm. right? Which sounds a bit cynical, but the truth is, is if you can find a post, if you, like in your instance, that was just immediately getting that engagement, I think that when you have that platform and you have something that's getting engagement, it is way more likely to attract journalists. Yeah, I think so too. Because, um, I mean, one, they're watching, but two, you know, if if you can definitely manufacture excitement, uh, excitement around something, like that was an instance that was just like, you know, pure and authentic and inspired. I remember reading that thread to this day, Evelyn. Yeah. Uh, but it's something that you can absolutely manufacture uh, excitement engagement, right? It's, it's it's the oldest trick in the book with human psychology, right? right. People are hearing something a lot. They inflate its importance in their yeah. head, right? It's just translating that into what you're seeing on social media, specifically on Twitter, right? Yeah. Volume, like uh, the, the, the regularity with which people see information just – our brains are broken in a way that we just assume that means it's important. Yeah. Well, and the nice thing about Twitter, too, is that you don't necessarily have to have relationships with everyone, right? right? I mean, you you are out there with your placard on your little, you know, you've got your platform and you're putting information out there and people can choose to follow you or not. Yeah. But if you're putting it out there regularly and you're doing something interesting, people will choose to follow you. Right. And it's, a, and it's interesting. And yeah. so, again, I think anyone who is... Um, interested in having an impact on local politics and, and certainly anyone who is an elected official. And right. I would say certainly every public agency should have a Twitter right. account. And you should plan to tweet. You know, I don't want to say you, have, you should tweet every day. I think right. you probably should when you're in business and when you're doing stuff. It doesn't have to be a lot. Right. And the thing that makes me crazy, Aaron, is local people, yeah. local politicians. Like, for crying out loud, why do you not tweet I'm at Red Elm Cafe for coffee the for a coffee meeting this morning, and let me tell you, there is no better place for a cup of coffee and a waffle than Red Elm Cafe. <laughs> Do a favor to your local small businesses, right, guys. Right, right. I mean, use it. Well, and it is just man, and these are the battles that I've had for years now. Like even on simple stuff like that, like I will say that there is such. Look, I don't want to just like. I don't want to boil it down to generational differences. But I that's think there's, part of it. It is. But uh, but the battles, I, I mean, the classic battle between PR and legal is as old as time. And even for something like that, you know, I've had so many uh, lawyers tell me that like, oh, this could be construed as doing a a favor to a that will be to the business benefit of, you know, the Red Elm, for instance. Right. And like, look, conceivably, I could see that being a legal argument. I'm not a it's lawyer. Not. so I don't No, I but, am. but that is the state of a lot of the attitude towards social yes. media is that it, these policies very, were built very in the 90s. Very, very risk averse. Right. Very risk averse. Right. I would say that's a big part of the problem is that, you know, no one wants to get in trouble. I understand <laughs> right. that. But you know what? And this is, I don't mean to make this sound a mockery because I'm, you know, with the greatest respect, but there really is good trouble of all kinds. Right. And promoting your local small businesses, mm-hmm. that is your job if you're in politics. Right. That is your job. You need to have a strong community and a strong tax base uh-huh. if you want to do any good. Being a a cheerleader for your community on social media is just that is like such great authentic content that I am right. really drawn to. Like you know, like I mean, I, and I'll shout out my my now former boss, Kermai, does like small business yes. Sundays. Like every Sunday, he just posts where he's at and is and 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 it's just like those kind of things are just like you're bringing people and voices and and highlighting what is enriching and 
valuable about your community. And that's not yeah. an explicitly political statement. No. That is just something that people connect with. Yeah. Right. And 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 so going back a little bit, I think that that's one of the reasons that you can hypercharge a lot of your engagement mm-hmm. through the personal contact. Like you were talking about uh, a little bit like, you know, we were talking early about following all these institutions. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of just building it, one of the things that I, again, learned this specifically from uh, Joe Wynn and from Germay, uh was every single time they had an interpersonal engagement with someone, they would be like, what's your Instagram handle? Oh. And follow them right there. Right away. Right? Because not only does that from the give a feedback cycle for the elected official where literally in their feed are going to be their constituents. Right. Right. Where they can see what's happening in their lives, which is a source of information, which is valuable. But also it allows you to like build that relationship because and I will tell you as a staffer, one of my favorite little tricks is like I will be on those accounts and, you know, whoever it's for. Right. When you see that your like comment or post was just liked in the comments by the elected official, again, it's that's That's like where it feels rewarding, right? It feels like you brought something valuable to the conversation, Mm -hmm. which is true because we want to reward people that are coming in and bringing something positive to the space as per our first conversation about how toxic and a nightmare these spaces can be. So just as frequently as possible, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, like just 101s, if somebody engages with your content, like and thank them. Just say thank you. And that goes so much farther and then follow them back. Tell me what you think of is good use of Instagram because I am not as good at Instagram. Right. Um, I I mean, it's it's the – for me, what I like about Instagram the most is the stories feature, right? Because it has – it doesn't feel like content that's going to live forever. And by its very nature, you create kind of a market of scarcity about um, what information and who's getting it and when, right? When you see one of those stories, it's not like – you know, we've all had that thing where we find like a funny tweet. And mm-hmm. we find out it was posted like three days ago and right. we're already behind on the conversation. Uh-huh. But with like a stories feature on Instagram, there's only a 24-hour lifespan on those things, which means that when you see that information, you know it's up to date, you know it's current, you know somebody literally just posted that, you're not behind on the conversation, you are a part of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one thing that's really alluring about the stories feature that we really tried to maximize and that Gurmai is a total natural at, uh, is is just the ability to, again, allow people to see, feel like they're along for the journey. Mm -hmm. Another great example, Claire Wilson, senator from the 30th Legislative District. She did my walk in the Senate on social media, where it was literally every single day, it was something she was learning about the institution. Mm -hmm. Again, with Joe Wynn, when he and I were doing those walk-in talks, it was just like bringing people along for the journey. Because when you're showing people, when you're lifting the hood or pulling the curtain back and showing people what's on the other side, they feel like they're on that journey with you. And they are. They're your constituency. They're the people that you represent. Showing them how the, the sausage is made is really something that is alluring. That is, it, it, There's there's a, a feeling of scarcity around, I didn't have this information mm-hmm. before, but now I am developing an expertise on how this process works. Yeah. Right? And so you get the benefits of transparency, of education, and of an enriching interaction and an actual social relationship that you didn't have before. Interesting. Okay, I'll have to look closer at that because I have not, I have not done that. What about YouTube? Value, or is it too cumbersome? Hmm. Uh, YouTube is a tricky one because it is. It is. <laughs> I mean, and I will say I. I absolutely love YouTube as a source of information. I don't do a lot of YouTube content. Yeah. Um, like, uh, there are a series of YouTube creators that I think are doing very deep and meaningful theoretical analysis about what is going on with our 
body politic, our psychology. You know, we talked about Lindsay Ellis, ContraPoints, H-Bomber guy. Uh, it, there's philosophy too. There are these people that are creating long form content mm-hmm. that is more than just updates. Mm-hmm. YouTube is not good for updates and right. for information. Like that's not the place to go. I think it's a good place for really, really deep dives. I'm kind of thinking, and I haven't, I haven't looked for this, so maybe there, and maybe not. I'm thinking the value of YouTube for like an elected official might be, you know, having having a channel and posting a few talks. Right. You know, where you want to get a little deeper. I would say don't go more than 15 minutes yeah. if you can help it because people just have a – but it might be sort of like the um, – it might be a slightly more accessible website in that way. Right. Uh, and it's it's a great place for what I would call like an overview of information, yeah. right? If you're introducing somebody to a candidate or an elected official, it's hard to ask them to learn who you are by scrolling through their Facebook or Twitter mm-hmm. feed, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's more, again, up-to-date information. But if you send them a 10-minute YouTube clip that tells their story, you know, that's going to be something that's really valuable in giving that like – I'm diving in for the first time, yes, and I want to learn about that content. And and just like I think we're all trained to go to YouTube for that, right? Like mm-hmm. if you have to fix something in your house, you go watch a 15 minute YouTube video. You're not going to be an expert, but you feel like you can walk through it step by step. I mean, I think that that's the mentality that you want to bring. Is like if somebody's trying to learn something, YouTube I think is really the most valuable educational platform that you're not going to get in the other social media spaces. Yeah. Uh, something we were messaging yesterday. What about TikTok? I haven't spent much time on TikTok. I started looking a little bit more yesterday, right. trying to get a better sense of it. And I'm still, uh, frankly, I'm still pretty much lost. Right. Um, and even if you know, I sorted it to say, show me stuff about Tacoma, Washington, and I'm still pretty much lost. But, I, but the intriguing thing about TikTok for me is that it has a much younger viewership than yeah. some of the others. Yeah, which is true. I mean, and that's just going to continue. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, Facebook is going to be around forever, I'm sure. But, you know, what the new platform is just going to be, I think, an inevitable part of the cycle at this point. And you will get uh, platforms that end up as endemic, and then you'll get some that wash away like Vine. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, but with TikTok, uh, again, I am a little bit more worried about TikTok, not because of like the type of content or the platform itself, but because it is also it also has an algorithm that is designed to feed you content the way mm-hmm. that is more Facebook or Instagram than is like Twitter or Reddit, right? Okay. And I just genuinely think, in terms of like the health of our uh, our our body politic and dialogue, places where we can see more diverse information and then select how we and choose how we see that information uh, is is just I think a a better way for a platform. But with TikTok, I mean, it's going to have a younger audience. Again, it's it's that up-to-date real-time thing. Mm-hmm. And it is crazy how hard they push numbers on there. Like, I am shocked to, like, I guarantee you, you probably know, everybody probably knows at least, like, one teenager that it has at least 10,000 views on a video. Wow. Like, it's just, like, it doesn't take that much to get scooped up to the algorithm because what TikTok has done better than any platform so far is that they are able to make assumptions about what kind of content you want to see a lot faster than any other platform. Yes. And so you can be on TikTok for 24 hours and be seeing content that you love, like, faster than anything else, which kind of, like, scares me on a certain level Mm -hmm. uh, because, again, it's not necessarily that you can choose the content you want to see as much. But, you know, you've got a much better machine learning algorithm that can figure you out as an individual faster than anything else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that worries me a little bit. But, again... I just I will admit that I am not as avid of as a TikTok user just mm-hmm. yet. In fact, I am I get most of my TikTok content through Twitter. <laughs> right, 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 right. Is where I'm at. But. Where I think I might uh, have a so my takeaway at the moment from TikTok is 
if you are someone who's, you know, trying to be known, be seen, and you have a cute pet, like yeah. I have really cute dogs. Sure. TikTok may be an option for you, <laughs> you know, in something that's right. less serious. It right. might be a less serious moment to kind of show, hey, I'm fun too. Right, right. And and again, it's it's I think it's really about identifying, and this goes back to the conversation around authenticity, because that is why I think that that is really for me. Um, the most valuable conversation to figure out what kind of content you want to produce because I think that that's going to be true across platforms, mm-hmm. right? You know, because like as in the Lindsay Ellis video, she, that's how it was for reality TV originally, right? right? Is that there was something that felt authentic and real about it that people glommed onto, but eventually once people could start to see the way these things were constructed, it loses all of its its rawness, right? And that's mm-hmm. going to happen. So, uh, you know, when it comes to those, like certainly I see no problem generally with like going into those motivating emotions, which are largely, you know, cuteness or lols or, you know, WTF content, right? Mm -hmm. If you had to put like three big markers around what animates people on the internet, it's lol, WTF, and and cute. Um, But it's really identifying what it is that is – what it is that's going to be completely natural to you. Like when I am paired with a new elected official, like when I was in the legislature, I would ask them like the same question every single time, which was completely – unrelated to their politics, but it's like, what are five pieces of media that like just define you as a person, right? That Mm. could be movies, books, uh, music, um, you know, magazines you read, whatever it is. Because if you can find out what the insights, what interests you, you know, there will be a niche audience that you can start to build a foundation on, right? So like, you know, for me, like I will totally fly my freak flag. I am very into like esports, right? I play a lot of video games online. There are communities there um, that I can engage with that they will end up like following me. I'll follow them back. And so when I want to have a conversation about my 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 absolute favorite topic, which is public broadband, mm-hmm. right? Well, there's a connection there that like I've already built credibility and authenticity in this community. Now I'm going to bring them on to the ride with the next thing I'm doing. Yeah. So, you know, it's I think that there's a temptation. And, and the thing I see a lot, especially with the prevalence of kind of this AOC style content that people want to replicate mm-hmm. is they see what AOC is doing and they just try to replicate what she's doing, her style, her politics. And it won't work for it them. It won't work, yeah. right? Um, and they'll wonder why that they'll they'll get beat by twenty points in their primary, right? But it's because it's 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 a replication that isn't unique to your place, that isn't unique to what you do, and it is just about again that vulnerability. What is it that you maybe aren't entirely comfortable sharing with the world, mm-hmm. but that's where the connections are made because that's how. Human connections are established in the first place. Mm-hmm. When you find somebody that you're just courting, just getting to know, when you find this one thing that only the two of you are interested in, that's what creates that relationship. And so finding those little bits and bringing it to it, that's going to be true on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you go. Finding those communities that you just genuinely have passion about, developing the relationship, and then asking them to come on the next journey as an individual, as an elected leader, and bring them into that political space, that's going to be a lot easier of a transition than trying to tack on to whatever, hoping you go viral as the third or fourth or 150th person to be on this TikTok trend. Right, right. I agree. Well, let's talk uh, one last thing, Mm because I don't want to miss it, is next door. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the thing Uh... about next door. I mean, it's vile, okay? (laughs) Let's just just put it, it is vile. And you, and it will reveal to you that your neighbors are not nice. No. But here's the thing: wouldn't you rather know? Uh, I mean, it it is a it is a and I and I debate with myself on this, but it is a portal into what people are thinking about that they may not feel comfortable saying to your face. Right. So I actually think 
It's a, I don't know how much you want to put on Nextdoor because I don't really see a lot of return there, although it might be a good place. I mean, if you're having a community meeting, I'd put it on Nextdoor because different people look at it. Right. But it's really a fascinating, disturbing viewpoint into what people around you who may not speak up right. are actually thinking about. Oh, God. I, I When my spouse and I bought a house in Parkland, we spent about four hours on next door until we deleted it immediately. Like, it just was not. Um, I, it, I guess it depends on what your goal is. Like, okay, this is going to be uh, a, a bit of a, a rabbit hole. But, like, so I, I think that there are better ways to build relationships because I don't yes. see the utility of social media outside of trying to build a relationship with someone. Okay. Right. You know, because if you, if I mean, especially if you're trying to like, you know, grow some kind of brand or if you're trying to advance some kind of policy, like without building the relationships first, like there's just no point. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if people don't feel like they have some kind of connection with it, like what's, they're not going to see that content. They're not going to be interested in it. They're not going to help hopefully become an evangelist for whatever topic you're working on. Right. And I just don't see how that operates in next door at all. No, I Right. That's fair. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think it's almost better to I, I mean, we, we've all done like Facebook and social media creep in on people that are in our immediate proximity. In fact, one way that I did it is I, I, I'm on Parkland Light and Water and we had a power outage. Right. And the only time that people tweet at Parkland Light and Water is when their power goes out. Mm-hmm. So, like, we had a small power outage in like the four blocks around my house and everybody that tweeted at them I knew was in my neighborhood. Right. Oh, yeah. So I created a Twitter list and just found all of my neighbors. <laughs> that we're complaining at Parkland Water and Light. And I'm like, it, it, it's an easier way to like follow and see what they're interested in, yeah. you know, and develop actual relationships or, or whatever it is. Although most of them probably have no idea that I found them on Twitter. Most people are terrified when you find out that you can find them on social media. That's like this fundamentally weird thing that like people still have not disconnected, the, despite the fact that your name is on social media, yeah. people still have not accepted that it is not anonymous, right. right? And so, like, you know, even for folks that are engaging on Twitter actively, if somebody, you know, came up to us at a bar and was like, hey, I follow you on social media, there's still that, like, weird disconnect of, like, oh, my goodness, they found me, yeah. right? You know, because it almost feels like a different space. But if you're, like, somebody that's a bit more private, if you're not trying to do it, that's even more jarring, despite the fact that they are signing up to be in a completely public space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, just a little bit of a side note there, but I I just, I don't know what goals I would be able to advance in a political or social aspect on Nextdoor, and so I'm just not sure what the utility is other than I mean, you know, being able to post information, but even that's dangerous on next door. Well, I mean, I, I'll say only this. I mean, I agree with you, and I haven't figured it out myself. I look at it occasionally, and it's usually disturbing. But I will say this one good thing. If you lose a pet, it's really <laughs> right, good for that. Right. And, you know, and this is not our style, but I will say maybe that I, maybe I just have the political blinders on here. I can totally see how an organization like – uh, safe Tacoma or Tacoma oh, Safe, yeah. they could probably organize on next door because they're I'm using sure they fear are. as a motivating uh, yeah. as a motivating instigator. Yeah, I would say uh, <laughs> participants in next door are the natural grassroots for right. Safe Tacoma. Right. Yeah, definitely yeah. they should be using God, I it. I saw like four more signs on the way over here and they're just oh, yeah. popping up all around right now. But so so I guess it depends on how cynical you want to be, right? Okay. If, like, you know, like I I don't engage in this personally nor would I advocate in it, but like if there's one thing we've learned about social media, it's that you can scare people into doing things in the real world. Um, I don't think that's a good, that that's ethical or morally sound, but like the right is doing it to like 
disastrous borderline constitutional crisis levels. Mm -hmm. You know, it is effective. And that's the whole problem with uh, it being, uh, what does Zuckerberg call it, being um, platform neutral or, you know, whatever it is they call it, is that, like, it rewards people to use the worst incentives of their platform to whatever ends they want without almost any ramification whatsoever. And it seems like Nextdoor especially – if you wanted to go and just scare people into a certain types of politics, you'd probably have an opportunity there, but please don't do that. <laughs> I just want to be on the record. Don't. Don't do it. Okay. Well, all right then. So we've covered really a lot. Yeah. What? Uh, any uh, parting thoughts? Um. I I genuinely I we I, I said these words at the beginning. I I go into the ten thousand foot level and what's motivating for me in in why it's important for the public to be competitive in the marketplace of ideas on social media, which is not a free marketplace. Bad ideas win all the time. Um, it's that we're at a printing press moment um, where we need to be very deliberate in realizing that we are reconstructing the public square and we have not really established the rules of the road yet. Yeah. And I think that that is, I think it's all of our responsibility, but I, I really feel like for my generation, especially, I think we have a special obligation to be a part of ushering in what the rules of the road are. Otherwise we're going to be at a catastrophic place. I mean, look at the 200 years after the printing press was invented. It was a lot of wars in Europe, right? I don't think that it'll necessarily, I mean, it could get that severe here, but if we are not competing in a space where there is just so many, there are so many bad faith actors when there is so much misinformation, I fear that we are at a political place where we are not going to be able to bend these platforms to our will through regulation, which means I think it's incumbent as on us as individuals and as institutions to begin filling the space and establishing the rules of the road. And it's the only way I can really see forward. That's going to be a little risky, especially for these institutions, like you said, that like there might be, you know, a lot of our ethics rules and laws for social media are built off of late 80s, early 90s ethics rules. Mm -hmm. And they are just not compatible with the way these things function. But I guess as my parting words is like, I think the opportunity that we all have as individuals and as institutions is to begin to fill this space to begin to surround ourselves with better information and to actually engage with the algorithms that you are being presented with instead of being a passive actor within it. Because if you remain passive and not thinking about how you're teaching Facebook or you're teaching Instagram to deliver you content, it's going to deliver you to more extreme places on the internet. And the only way to get out of that cycle, the only way to compete in my view is to be an active participant in it. And I think that that's one of the things that y'all are building here with Channel 253 locally. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited about it. That's one of the reasons I'm more excited to get every single local government I can to just take the jump and get more engaged and just even for people that are awful to you, remember, these platforms are engagement neutral. Any engagement isn't good engagement. That doesn't mean reward people, that, but that just says acknowledge them, see them. That's how you build trust. That's how you build these social relationships. And I, I think that's the only way we're going to get out of this uh, what feels like otherwise doom and gloom as we doom scroll every night at 1.30 in the morning. I agree. I think if you believe in democracy, you got to participate, and this is part of it. Yeah. Not always easy, not always pleasant, but you got to participate. Okay, on that – Thank you so much for joining me, Aaron. Absolute it was pleasure, really Evelyn. a great discussion. We may come back, especially as we may have an interesting uh, legislative election year coming ahead. Who knows? <laughs> Thanks. All right. 
Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.